0: Uh, are you telling me that you built a time machine out of a Dodge shadow? Yep, and we're heading back in time to 1893. Destination, Chicago, in the World's Fair. 20 miles per hour. 45 miles per hour, 60 miles per hour. Come on baby, hold together. 77 miles per hour. The World's Columbian Exposition, which took place between May and October of 1893, was named in honor of the 400th anniversary of Christopher Columbus's arrival in the New World in 1492. Chicago winning the right to host the event proved to be a big boom for their economy and status around the world. New York, St. Louis, and Washington DC all took a shot at hosting the World's Fair, but large donations from prominent Chicagoans pushed the city across the finish line. Episode 8, A Day at the Fair Hosting the Columbian Exposition was also important to the city of Chicago because they wanted to show the world how well they'd bounce back from the Great Chicago Fire, which had destroyed much of the city in 1871. The Great Chicago Fire, for those of you that don't know, was a fire rumored to be started by a cow. Catherine and Patrick O'Leary, both Irish immigrants, owned the barn that the fire supposedly began in. The speculation was that Catherine had left a lantern lit, that was then kicked over by her cow in the late evening. As the last smoldering ashes burned, it was revealed that around 300 people had perished. More than 73 miles of roads, 120 miles of sidewalk, 2,000 lampposts, 17,500 buildings, and $222 million in property damage had been done. At the time, it was nearly a third of the entire value of Chicago. So after hiding my Dodge Shadow Time Machine, I head towards the train station. I realized very quickly that I stand out like a sore thumb. Back in 2021, my midlife crisis pandemic-inspired mohawk, trendy Dunder Mifflin t-shirt from Kohl's and tapered old navy chino pants just made me look like a dad that's trying too hard. In 1893, however, I looked like a vagrant. Every man I see around me looks almost identically well-dressed, down to the bowler hat and curled mustache. Embracing my wild, homeless appearance, I do the only thing I can think to do and busk on the sidewalk near the massive, freshly built 26-track train station. The maps I studied before my trip back in time tell me I'm in the southwest corner of the World's Fair. Trains inbound from all around the country are unloading and taking away visitors. These folks look well-to-do, and I take advantage of the awestruck passengers eager to spend some money. I think hard, and remember a few of the TikTok dances that my daughter taught me, And after twenty minutes or so of well-angled dabs and blinding lights, I have a bucket full of coins. It's time to find a fancy men's clothier. As I enter, a gentleman escorting two young ladies bumps into me on his way out. Pardon me, good sir, I say in a goofy old-timey accent. Not at all, he says back to me in an authentic old-timey accent. Dr. Henry Howard Holmes. Pleased to meet your acquaintance. As am I pleased to also meet your acquaintance, too, as well. My name is... hmm, I need to think of something fast, something cool, something masculine. My name is Biff Tannen. His mustache is a hairy croissant resting upon his top lip. Its fullness is intimidating. He eyes me up and down, taking in my odd apparel. Healthy lungs? Yes. You? I assume it's a common greeting or well-wishing of the time. Do you have both your kidneys? Now it's getting weird. I nod my head yes. My kidneys are great. I have a hotel just a short stroll from here. If you are in need of room and board, please stop by. I curtsy because I'm not sure how to respond. He tips his hat, and the three of them are out the door. Nice enough guy. Weird line of questioning. A half hour into 1893? I've already made friends. With my bucket of coins, I'm able to buy trousers, a shirt and tie, vest, frock coat, and shoes. With my remaining earnings, I have just enough to finish off the ensemble with a classy derby hat and a monocle. I've always wanted a monocle. I thank my daughter and her love of TikTok and head outside. Time to explore. I pass through the administration area, and an array of smells hit my nose. Chocolate, peanut butter, pancakes, beer, and outdoor toilets. The last smell I quickly realized is coming from the bucket I used to collect donations in. I quickly set that down and continue on. Once through administration, I can see a giant reflective pool before me. A sign tells me that it's called the Grand Basin. Around the pool are 14 main buildings, all created just for the fair. The administration building, the agricultural building, and the Manufacturers and Liberal Arts building, which was designed by George B. Post, one of the early fathers of the modern skyscraper. There's a building for mines and mining, electricity, transportation, fisheries, and horticulture. One building, the loudest of the 14, is the machinery hall. People are exiting almost as quickly as they enter, their hands over their ears. One of those machines is loud enough. A whole building full is almost deafening. There's also a woman's building, along with two Charles B. Atwood-designed buildings for forestry and anthropology. Atwood was one of the premier architects in the area at the time. The buildings are all gorgeous. It's hard to believe that so much effort and money was put into something everyone knew would be temporary. It came to be known as the White City for numerous reasons. One, the facades were made of a mixture of plaster, cement, and fiber. Once painted white, it gave each building a shine that, when compared to the rest of Chicago, almost seemed to glow. Two, there were also streetlights erected, so the fair was accessible at night. And three, some scholars even believe that the name White City came from the lack of African-American representation. I notice a tall, confident, well-dressed black man approaching me. He's got thick salt-and-pepper hair and a great beard. I'm hoping he compliments my monocle. He introduces himself as Frederick Douglass. It's THE Frederick Douglass. I'm starstruck, but... I play it cool as he reaches inside his coat and retrieves a folded piece of paper. He hands it to me, encourages me to read it, does not compliment my monocle, and then moves on. What I'm holding in my hand is a pamphlet entitled, The Reason Why the Colored American Is Not in the World's Columbian Exposition, The Afro-American's Contribution to Columbian Literature. Despite slavery ending nearly 30 years earlier, in 1865, no matter how hard I looked, an African American exhibit is not something I'd see on this trip. There had been requests for inclusion, but all were denied. I flip open the pamphlet and read from it. But I need not elaborate the legal and practical definition of slavery. What I have aimed to do has not only been to show the moral depths, darkness, and destitution from which we are still emerging, but to explain the grounds of the prejudice, hate, and contempt in which we are still held by the people who for more than two hundred years doomed us to this cruel and degrading condition. So when it is asked why we are excluded from the world's Columbian Exposition, the answer is slavery. Forty-six nations participated in the fair, constructing exhibits and pavilions and naming national delegates. Haiti selected Frederick Douglass to be its delegate. As he walked away, I wanted to warn him to take care of himself. Two years from now, he'll die of a heart attack at the age of 77 after making an appearance at a National Council of Women event in Washington, D.C., If I've learned anything from Back to the Future, however, it's that you don't want to mess with the space-time continuum, so I decide against it. Like the smells, there's a mix of sounds in the air. Vendors calling out for you to see their products, laughter, machinery, music. I also hear a group of children performing the Pledge of Allegiance for the first time ever in public. The kids are lined up in military fashion and belting it out loud and proud. I stop into the women's building, because, after all, I am a woke time traveler, and I spend some time wandering through the library exhibit. 7,000 books are on the shelves before me, all written by women. The purpose of the library is to show the cumulative contribution of the world's women to literature. I wish I could let them know that in around 120 years, they're going to need a much bigger exhibit. I exit the building and look out upon the mighty Lake Michigan. Beyond the shoreline casino and music hall, there's a beautiful pier stretching out into the lake. As I near it, I can see a strong man performing for a large crowd. It's none other than twenty six year old Prussian bodybuilder Eugen Zando. The crowd ooze and ahs, and ladies cool themselves with souvenir paper fans as Zando flexes his bulging muscles. He effortlessly hoists large barbells and finishes his show by breaking chains around his chest with a quick tightening of his pectoral muscles. This chiseled Adonis before me would soon be credited with organizing the first-ever bodybuilding competition in 1901. He was a judge there in the competition, along with Sherlock Holmes' author, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. From there, I head north along the shore, passing various kiosks and booths. Side note, I should tell you that I am no longer walking. I am on board a moving walkway designed by architect Joseph Lyman Silsby. The Great Wharf Moving Sidewalk, as it's called, is the first of its kind open to the public. Ever use one of these at an airport, towing along your grumpy wife and kids and a bunch of luggage? Thank Mr. Silsby for that. The 1893 Chicago World's Fair was the first place that many products we still use today were introduced. I see patrons packed around booths, listening to sales pitches and trying samples of cream of wheat, juicy fruit gum, Quaker oats, shredded wheat, and Pabst Blue Ribbon Beer. A woman named Bertha Palmer has invented brownies for the fair. Fair Fairgoers are lined up to try them. I spot Milton Hershey purchasing a European exhibitor's chocolate manufacturing equipment, which he will later use to add to his caramel manufacturing business. It's when I stop to watch a group of hula dancers introducing Hawaiian music to Chicagoans that I hear a familiar voice. We meet again, Mr. Tannen. It's the good doctor I met earlier, although he's now alone. Ah, Dr. Henry, what happened to the lovely ladies you were with earlier? Minnie and Annie? Oh, they are otherwise disposed of at the moment. And please, call me H.H. It's what all my friends call me. Then I insist you call me Biff, H.H. Holmes. Hmm, the name sounds familiar to me, but I can't place it. Say, H.H., it looks as if you spilled some ketchup on your jacket, or some red wine, perhaps? He looks down at his coat and back up at me. I can see his lip twitching under the hairy caterpillar of a mustache. It seems I have. Please excuse me. Alone once more, I move on towards the northern pier. Here, in the water, are life-size reproductions of Christopher Columbus's three ships, the Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria. These things were constructed in Spain and then sailed to America for the exposition. I skipped taking a tour of those because, well, Columbus was kind of a jerk. Near those three ships, I spot a replica of the Norwegian Gokstad ship named the Viking. This is a very historic boat of my people. It was built in Norway and sailed across the Atlantic by twelve men, led by Captain Magnus Anderson, who I shake hands with and introduce myself to as a proud Norwegian named Biff. He is not impressed, despite my beard and monocle. The last vessel I see is the Illinois, a full-scale mock-up of an Indiana-class battleship. Columbus's three ships, a Viking Gokstad, and an American battleship all resting in the water together, only at the World's Fair. I'm in the northern area of the fair now. Here is where the art galleries are, as well as pavilions for 34 different U.S. states. There are state buildings for California, Connecticut, Florida, Massachusetts, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, and Texas, each one architecturally representative. Four United States territories also have pavilions, Arizona, New Mexico, Oklahoma, and Utah. Speaking of Utah, a 250-voice Mormon Tabernacle Choir is singing around the territory's pavilion. It's the first appearance by the choir outside of Utah. At the Louisiana Pavilion, I'm handed a free cypress tree seedling. Because of these seeds, at this fair, cypress trees spread to areas where they were not native. It's how West Virginia got so many. I'm not sure how well mine will do in Michigan, but I'll give it a try. The Idaho Pavilion features a rustic log construction. I read that over the course of the World's Fair, an estimated 18 million people walked through this exhibit. Thanks to the building's design and interior, we now also have arts and crafts shows. I was brought along to arts and crafts shows my entire childhood. My mom weaved baskets, and my dad is an excellent artist. I respect both of those things much more now than I did when I was little. It's not the coolest way for a kid to spend a weekend. Thanks, Idaho. As I continue towards my last stop, I spot more historic figures and wonderful inventions. George Washington Carver is here, Alexander Graham Bell, Nikola Tesla, there's a display for the first fully electrical kitchen including an automatic dishwasher. I don't even have one of those yet in 2021. A man named Frank Hall is showing off his device that makes plates for printing books in Braille, and he's showing them off to none other than Helen Keller and her teacher, Ann Sullivan. Ah, I should have brought my cell phone. I'm missing so many selfie opportunities. Before heading into the midway, I stopped to get something to eat while listening to Indonesian music. The Vienna Sausage Company is selling frankfurters, and what goes better with Indonesian music than a frankfurter? The company would later become known as Vienna Beef, famously recognized as Chicago's hot dog. I hold in my hand a red hot hot dog with yellow mustard, sweet green pickle relish, onion, tomato wedges, a pickle spear, peppers, and celery salt. It is perfection on a poppy seed bun. As I go to take my first bite, I hear H.H. again. Biff Tannen, we meet again. He looks nervous and tired and is now practically covered in red wine stains. Messy fella. I don't have much time, but the offer still stands. Come by the hotel tonight. It's lovely. You'll absolutely die. He eyes my Chicago hot dog. May I have a bite? I've worked up quite an appetite. Before I can answer, he snatches my frankfurter and takes a big bite. Relish and mustard sticking to the hairs of his protruding mustache. He pats me on the shoulder, leaving a red smear on my frock coat. He offers the hot dog back to me, but I'm no longer hungry, and now I know where I've heard the name before. This is H.H. Holmes, one of the most notorious serial killers in our country's history. It's rumored that he may have murdered around 200 people during the World's Columbian Expo. Oh, hey, wow, isn't that President Grover Cleveland over there? Holmes turned to look, and I was gone. Full sprint towards the midway. I know what you're thinking. I should have stopped him, but space-time continuum, remember? The World's Columbian Exposition was the first World's Fair with an area set aside specifically for amusements. Music promoter Saul Bloom introduced the term Midway to American English to describe the area of a carnival or fair where sideshows are located. Eventually, there will be a man named George C. Tillew in attendance who later credits the sights he sees on the Chicago Midway for inspiring him to create America's first major amusement park, Steeplechase Park in Coney Island, New York. Above me looms the tallest Ferris wheel built at the time. Its creator, George Washington Gale Ferris Jr. is waving me towards the entrance. And while it would have been a good lookout spot for H.H. Holmes, I don't love heights. And this thing was built by what I imagined to be the caveman of Carnies, so no thank you. I need some place to lay low for a little while. I see that magician Harry Houdini and his brother Theodore have a show that is about to start, but there's a line a mile long. Instead, I decide to duck into a lecture being given by Edward Mybridge on the science of animal locomotion. The sign above the entrance says, Zopraxagraphical Hall. I pay for my ticket and take my seat. He talks about things way over my head and shows us his zoopraxiscope, a device that displays moving pictures. I'm in what was basically considered the first commercial movie theater. The lecture wraps up and I head back outside. I don't see Dr. Holmes anywhere, safe at last. I should be heading back soon, but I decided to take a stroll through the street in Cairo. And I'm glad I did. Performing in the street is a popular dancer known as Little Egypt. What a woman. She's like the Cardi B of the late 1800s. She introduced America to the suggestive version of the belly dance known as the Hoochie Coochie. This seems like a great way to wrap up my day. Plus, I think I hear someone calling out my name again. I cut through a real live ostrich farm and hop a fence onto 59th street. On my way back to my Dodge Shadow Time Machine, I'm offered tickets to see Buffalo Bill's Wild West show. He was reportedly denied a spot inside the fairgrounds, but he decided to come to Chicago anyway. Always a savvy businessman. Buffalo Bill set up his show just outside the edge of the exposition and made a killing siphoning off visitors to the World's Fair. I declined the offer. Another time, perhaps. In a few days, the fair will end in a horrible way. The city's mayor, Carter Harrison Sr., will be assassinated by Patrick Eugene Prendergast. The closing ceremonies will be canceled in favor of a public memorial service. There were some amazing sights to be seen, but also a lot of death at the 1893 World's Columbian Exposition. I don't need to be among the dead, so I fire up the old shadow and head back to 2021. What a trip! I certainly hope you enjoyed coming along with me. World's fairs were important events that allowed countries to share information and technological advances, as well as culture and ideas. They still happen today, although not at that level. It's easy to see why some of the greatest minds in the world came to these fairs. For inspiration and to share their inventions and ideas. As I exit the Dodge Shadow, I look over at my passenger seat, sitting there as a half-eaten Chicago dog with a note. Until we meet again. P.S. You forgot something. H.H. Please follow me on Facebook and Twitter. Stop by Curator135.com and subscribe to the podcast on any of the major podcast apps. Buy some merch if you're feeling sassy. T-shirts and pillows and a whole bunch of great stuff are available through Amazon. But I have links up to most of the items in the shop section of the website. Until next time, be good to one another. And be creative. The world needs you.